0: Welcome back to one-on-one New York's longest-running sports call-in show. Alex Woltz here with Colin Lochran, and pleased to be joined now by sports writer and one of the nation's best college football analysts, Phil Steele. You can catch his 2021 college football season preview, this year's edition of the annual preseason magazine, better known as the College Football Bible on Bookshelves. Now, Phil, thank you so much for being here. How are you?
1: Hey, a real pleasure. I am doing great. So much better than last year at this time when we were wondering if we're going to play football. No one knows schedules are set. We're playing football, full crowds in the stadiums. I'm, uh, I'm beside myself. Very happy.
0: Everything you just hit on there was exactly the first question I was going to ask. You, know, you talk about last year, such a different season. But you know, as a big college football fan, the pageantry is back this year. It's a lot of fun, and and just for you being around the sport for so long, just how exciting. You kind of hit on it there. How exciting is that again?
1: You know, I think we're going to have huge home field edges this year because fans got deprived to go into the stadiums last year. And whereas attendance in college football had been going down for like a five to 10 year period, I really think this year we're going to see an increase over 2019's attendance in large numbers. And I think the fans are going to be a lot more excited to be there and be louder. So I'm looking for huge home field edges this year.
2: Definitely. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how each of these schools and programs really handles getting back to the norm, as it were, because really last year that got completely taken away from them. And I'm wondering, Phil, just as someone that's covered college football as extensively as you have, what goes into making that college football Bible, if you will? I mean, I am just beside myself with the amount of intricate detail that must take. Yeah, it's a it's a
1: seven month process. And, you know, the reason I started the magazine way back in 1995 was because I would buy the other 20 magazines that were out there or the 20 magazines, and I would take down all my notes on every team. And I could barely come up with a a one 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 deep, let alone a two deep on each team. I want every player on the team on my page. I want to know everything about every player on the team. So I started compiling the information myself. And now it's a seven-month process. We actually start the uh, Saturday after Thanksgiving. Once some team seasons are complete, uh, we go through the complete write-through of what happened during the year, Uh, It's about a two-month to two process. And then the next write-through is going through pre-spring where we got all the transfers coming in, the freshmen coming in, who's gone, who's back. And then the third write-through process is after I talk to the coaches. And this year I talked to 110 of the 130 head coaches going over. I send them my sheets, which have every player on the team, uh, every stat on that player, all my notes on each player, and I say, put me in the right order and tell me a little something about your guys. They put me in the right order on all the team pages. But it's an exhaustive process. Those last few weeks, we're all working about 80 to 100 hours a week trying to get this thing out of here, and it takes a full seven months to produce each year.
0: Over 25 years now running and and all of that culminating into this year, the 2021 preview. And let's dive into that a little bit and talk about this college football season, because I think such an interesting year. Obviously, a lot of the noise around college football that we'll talk about in a little bit. But just when it comes to on the field and kind of your expectations for this season, I want to start with kind of your top 25 and some interesting names for me when I was reading through this. Notre Dame was one that jumped out at me. Penn State was another making a big jump. Just what are some of the teams that you would encourage us right off the bat to kind of keep an eye on this year as sort of overperformance from what we might expect?
1: Yeah, for that, let's let's go to my surprise teams, which uh, my surprise teams are non-top-10 teams. And let's face it, everybody thinks the same four teams make the playoffs every year, right? So how often does a non-top-10 team actually make the playoff? Well, in 2016, my number one surprise team was Washington. They were not ranked in the preseason top 10. They made the playoff that year. 2018, uh, a team you guys touched on, Notre Dame, and they were not in the preseason top 10. They made the playoff that year as my number one surprise team. Uh, to the next year, 2019, it was Utah. Had they won the Pac-12 title game, they would have made the playoff. And last year, it was a five-loss Texas A&M, and A&M was their selection Sunday with Ohio State. So my surprise teams are non-top-10 teams I think can make the playoff. My number two surprise team is Wisconsin. And Wisconsin's coming off an average 4-3 and three season where they averaged 3.9 yards per carry last year. Uh, they've got a big offensive line. They didn't really have a feature running back last year, but now they've got Jalen Berger, who established himself later in the year, and Chesma Luzzi, the transfer from Clemson. So I think they'll have an improved running game back to their usual five, six yards of carry. Graham Mercer, starting quarterback, hit 20 of 21 passes in the opener last year, and then they had COVID, missed a couple weeks of practice, really wasn't the same after that. I think he'll be one of the best QBs In the country. The defense is always solid at Wisconsin and they've got a lot of starters back again and then I love their schedule. Their four Big Ten road games are all against teams that had losing records last year. They're a slight favorite over Notre Dame at a neutral site game right now so they very well could be favored in all 12 games yet they're not in the preseason top 10. I don't even think they're in the preseason top 15 this year. Keep your eyes on the Badgers. And then another one to really watch is Washington. Washington uh, is barely in the top 25 this year, but they're my number one surprise team. Big offensive line, average about 330 pounds per man across the board. Deep set of running backs, two veteran quarterbacks, an outstanding tight end in Dot. And defensively, Jimmy Lake has always done great defensively. He's had two and six returning starters the last two years. This year he has eight. Once again, let's look at the schedule. They avoid USC and Utah to the south. And their two toughest games this year are Arizona State and Oregon. They get them both at home. And what I say about home field edges, I think home field is going to be huge this year. Husky Stadium is a tough place to play. I actually have Washington favored in all 12 games this year, and they're barely in the top 25.
2: In talking about these teams that could make a jump, as you were talking about Washington potentially being a surprise team, you know, In the spirit of that, and plus the fact that you've spoken to 110 of the 130 FBS coaches this year alone, I'm wondering, is there any one coach in particular that might not have the name cachet of a Nick Saban or a Coach O that really should be getting more praise for the work he's doing with his program and making that program a better unit as a whole? Oh, there
1: there are a lot of good coaches in the game. I mean, there's only, these are 130 of the best coaches in in football there, the the head men of the the teams. But I would have to say it's a guy that's starting to gain a lot of notoriety. Uh, One would be Luke Fickle, and the other one would be Matt Campbell at Iowa State. You know, what Matt Campbell, when Matt Campbell took over six years ago, if you would have said Iowa State will be a national title contender in six years, I would have laughed. But what he's done is created a national title contender with Iowa State. They had a young offensive line last year. They now have a veteran offensive line. Coach Campbell told me was his best offensive line he's had. They've got an outstanding running back in Brees Hall, one of the best in the country, a veteran quarterback in Purdy, best tight end room in the country, a veteran defense. And uh, they do have to play Oklahoma on the road, but they're a legitimate national title contender and just an amazing job he's done.
0: You mentioned Oklahoma in there, and you talked about the best coaches. So let's shift to the best players for a second and talk about Heisman, because one of the guys that you had high up on that list was Spencer Rattler, someone from the Sooners and a team that you're high on in general. And what is it that you like about Oklahoma a lot, and kind of are you keeping your eye on with them this year? Well, you know, under Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma is going to have a top-notch offense. In fact, the three years he's
1: had are veteran quarterback They've been the best offense in the country. He's had two Heisman winners and a Heisman finalist. Uh, Last year, they had a freshman quarterback, and I think they only put up 48 points per game. So (laughs) they're going to have the best offense with Rattler now a veteran. They've got my best offensive line in the country, number two set of receivers, and number four, set of, uh, or n- number four set of running backs in the country. So the best offense. Now, when they've made the playoffs the last three times, they've given up over 40 points each time and gone out in the first round. They've got a defense this year. They only gave up 21 points per game last year. They've got eight starters back on the defensive side, my number three set of defensive linemen in the country, number eight set of linebackers, and number three set of defensive backs. So they actually have a top five defense. They have my number 22 rated special teams. They've added Michael Turk from Arizona State, one of the better punters in the country. They now have a top 20 special teams. And if you look at last year's playoff teams, uh, almost everybody this year, when I talked to 110 head coaches, was saying how experienced they are. Almost everybody's got 15, 16, 17 returning starters, with the exception of the four teams that made the playoff. Those guys all have 9, 10, 11 returning starters, and all lose their quarterback. So the pack has caught up to those main four teams. And I think when you look at Oklahoma with 15 returning starters and a veteran quarterback and a defense for once, they have a great shot at winning their first national title since 2000.
2: Talking about that returning quarterback just a little bit more, Spencer Rattler, I think he's a great talent. I mean, obviously, last year, 28 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. I'm just wondering, what have you seen of him that makes him such a Heisman favorite? And if you could, do you think that he's built for NFL success based on what he's done in the college game? Uh, Yes. And the thing I like
1: best about him actually happened against Texas. And against Texas, he got benched. In the second quarter, Uh, in today's game, that usually means a quarterback pouts, transfers out and it's a problem. He was completely honed in focused when he did get his chance to come back in the game. He was a different quarterback the rest of the year. So I think that was great that they benched him in that game. We saw a different Spencer Rattler after that. Yes, I do think he's an NFL prospect. In fact, I think Mel Kuyper just put out his list and him, the number two guy on his big board. And uh, when you look at Rattler, he's got the arm strength you definitely want out of the quarterback. He's got a uh, decent size, and he's going to be running the most explosive offense in the country for what I think is going to be an unbeaten team. And generally, that's how you win the Heisman. You, you are uh, play, the main player on a team that uh, is
0: contending for the national title. And we're here with uh, college football analyst Phil Steele. And, and, Phil, I feel like we can't talk about Oklahoma without talking about all the noise of the Big 12 and the SEC and the shift that they're undergoing with Texas. And I'm just really curious, as you who have been watching this game for so long, what do you kind of think about this whole situation with Texas and Oklahoma making that move? Can't, number one, can they be competitive in the SEC? And number two, just what does this mean for college football more broadly in your eyes?
1: Yeah, personally, I wouldn't have made the move if I was Oklahoma because, I mean, you got a great chance of making a playoff every year out of the Big 12, as they've proven. Uh, making the playoffs three out of the last four years. And now they're going to go to the SEC. There's no way they make the playoffs three out of every four years uh, playing in the SEC. Now, for years, for the last four years, I've been saying, I think we're headed to four 16-team super conferences. And I think this puts us there. And I believe the alliance between the Big Ten, the uh, Pac-12, and the ACC – where they're not going to poach each other's teams. You'll see them slowly add teams, probably get up to four 16-team super conferences, and that's where we'll be. Now, if we have the expanded playoffs, the group of five teams will be able to stay around, which is helpful. I mean, they're very important, I think, to college football. So uh, as much as a traditionalist as I am, and it bothers me to see Texas and Oklahoma playing in the SEC, you know what? College football will be just fine.
2: Speaking of the potential for making the playoff and, you know, potentially winning a national championship, you know, a a school that's done that many, many times recently is Alabama. They've been 170 and 23 under Nick Saban's tenure. And as someone who's been watching closely, why do you think they've been so successful? Does it begin and end with Saban or is there something to be said about a winning culture within college football that is built over time? And that's the ultimate uh, reason why these programs are able to be so successful.
1: Well, I remember Saban's first year, they barely got to 500 and they had been coming off some really down seasons. And what he's done is is redevelop that pride that Alabama had under Bear Bryant. And uh, I, I think it it's uh, one of those things where the rich become richer when more you win the more you get better recruits, the more players are put in the NFL, the more players that come to play for you. And when Nick Saban talks and talks to a player and says, you need to do this to be successful, to get drafted in the first round, I'm listening if I'm a player. So he's got a lot of cachet build up. He brings in the top recruiting class every year. Now, I will say this. Uh, doing all the radio shows I've done this uh, summer, it appears like everybody thinks Alabama wins the national title every single year. Last year was actually the first time they won the title in three years. They had missed both in 19 and in an 18. In fact, didn't even win the SEC in 2019. But it seems like everybody thinks Alabama just automatically wins the national title every year. But Nick Saban's done a great job. And uh, we've seen the same three teams basically make the playoffs every year because that winning gets you better players and really it's the players that, uh, that make a lot of difference.
0: And we've talked about a lot of the things pertaining to the playoff. We've talked about kind of the growth of the Pac-12 or the opportunity they have this year. We've talked about Alabama and kind of their staying power and also Clemson and an interesting predicament with the change of quarterback. If you're just looking at these teams, and we also mentioned Oklahoma as well, when it comes to that playoff picture, still in the four-team scenario, kind of who do you have your eyes on the most this season in terms of who's lifting that trophy at the end of it with all the different scenarios that we have coming into this season?
1: Yeah, and, you know, for the magazine, I, I, I went way out on a limb here, guys. I picked <laughs> Alabama. Clemson, Ohio State and Oklahoma. To make the playoffs. <laughs> So how's that for being a risk taker? But I did go out on a limb for picking my national champ this year. And it's what team we discussed already, which was Oklahoma. I think it's all set up for them. They have not won a national title since 2000. So it's over 20 years since they won a national title. And I think they take it home this year because they're the most experienced to the big boys. And they're the one with the returning
2: starting quarterback wow. as well. That's bold prediction. Oklahoma winning national title. I could see it happening, especially with Spencer Rattler at the helm. Uh, Personally, I'm a tortured Notre Dame Fighting Irish fan. I was just wondering, what can I expect from them this year in terms of production? Do we have any shot to make the playoff?
1: Uh, You know, they've got a tough schedule. There's no doubt about that. You look at them top to bottom, there is not a team on their schedule that I don't expect to be a bowl team this year. So playing 12 bowl teams is always tough, but there's also not a team on their schedule, which is unwinnable. I mean, they're the only game they're an underdog in all year. They're a one and a half point underdog right now to Wisconsin. And that's it with the Irish. The key is going to be offense because I'm not concerned about the defense. they have got six starters back from one of the nation's best defenses they are loaded on that side of the ball. They do lose a lot on the offensive line. I like the addition of Kane Madden from Marshall on the offensive line. They always do mold a very good offensive line. And I actually think Jack Cohn, a quarterback, could put up Ian Book type of numbers this year. They've got one of the best running backs in the country in Kyron Williams. The receiving core is the one that has to be worked on. The offensive line has to come together. But once again, you can look at Notre Dame's schedule. and I can see 12-0. and 0. I can see 9-3 and 3 because they're a young team this year. But... I'm more or less, my main set of power rings has him at 12 and 0. Yes, I do give him a shot of making the playoff.
0: If we're asking questions about personal fandom, I I would ask one about my Oregon Ducks, but I don't think our our New York audience is interested in that. So I'm going to shift instead to our Fordham Rams. So I wanted to ask you a question about Phil before we let you go, because kind of an exciting season from a Fordham football perspective, starting this week against Nebraska, playing Monmouth, another good team in Florida Atlantic. And you, I was looking at your FCS All-American preseason picks. I know Nick Sakels was someone that you were keeping your eye on. And I'm just curious if you could give us some insight about your your takeaway and perspective on Fordham this year and what we can expect uh, this week in Nebraska.
1: You know, I I like, first of all, what I saw out of Fordham in the spring. They outgained their opponents by 141 yards per game. And even in the loss to Holy Cross, they outgained them by 164 yards. That tells me they're a good team. Their quarterback, Tim DeMoret, is a three-year starter, the Patriot League Offensive Player of the Year in the spring. Zach Davis, the 1,000-yard rusher, uh, sat out this spring with injury. He's back. The offensive line has showed great improvement going from 50 to 45 to just six sacks in three games last year. And they've got the defensive preseason Patriot Player of the Year in Ryan Greenhagen. So this is a very good Fordham team. Now, Uh, For the opener, I would have rather seen Nebraska beat Illinois in a close game and and be coming off an emotional game where this is a letdown spot. But instead, Nebraska's coming off a loss to Illinois, and Scott Frost is under a lot of pressure. So uh, I got to tell you, I think Nebraska wins this one by three touchdowns or more to open up. But I am bullish on Fordham this year. I think we're going to see a very
0: good team. Yeah, and we're looking forward to it here on campus. And we appreciate you, Phil. taking some time to provide some insight. So again, this is Phil Steele, sports writer, one of the nation's best college football analysts. You can catch the 2021 college football season preview just in time to kick off this weekend. So Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate the time.
1: Hey, a lot of fun talking football with you guys. And don't forget to pick up the magazine. It's out there at Barnes & Noble, Books a Million. Once you get the magazine, you'll be using it all season long, all the way through the bowl
0: games. It's called the College Football Bible for a reason. So thank you, Phil. We'll be right back with more one-on-one right after this.